0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of FieldLink. I'm Bill Smith, your host. Today, we're going to dive into the USDA grain stock report. And joining us from Nashville will be Jody Lawrence from the Strategic Trading Advisors as we deep dive into the uh, US uh, supply report for grains uh, and how they'll impact growers for the 23 growing season. Thanks for joining us here on this special episode of FieldLink. Yeah, and we want to welcome uh, Jody Lawrence back to uh, FieldLink as we talk specifically today about the USDA Grain Stock Report Uh, that was just recently released by the USDA uh, here last Thursday. Uh, Jody, welcome to FieldLink.
1: Thank you, Bill. It's good to be back. Lots to talk about. Uh, The January report's always a a big one uh, to set the stage for the next year. So uh, big numbers to talk about.
0: Yeah, definitely. We saw a lot of movement, a lot of action in uh, this year's report, this January report. Uh, corn looking like it's down seven percent. Jody, uh, what what uh, what are the analysts uh, telling us about that specific number going down by seven?
1: Well, the just kind of the general overview for everybody to catch up if they didn't uh, dive into the reports. The USDA came in uh, below uh, what we were. What we were expecting uh, in in acreage across the board and uh, harvested acreage, and they also lowered U.S. ending stocks. So that was kind of the bullish foundation for it. They made some uh, upward uh, some upward adjustments in yield. Uh, They uh, raised U.S. corn yield to one seventy three point three, which is a great crop when you consider how dire the situation was in the Western Corn Belt uh, for all those major production states, uh, Nebraska in particular. And that was up a full bushel from their last yield update in November and about eight-tenths of a bushel above what the uh, estimate was from all the private analysts who did their surveys with their farmers. Uh, But because the harvested acreage was cut right at 1.4 million acres, and 1.6, one, excuse me, is 1.6 from the last USDA report in November, and about one and a half below what the estimate was. To there was only 79.2 million acres harvested of corn this year, so that abandonment and uh, it was a little bit higher. And really, when you start getting into corn numbers, the acreage number is always more uh important if you're looking for you know a big move as far as the total crop because if you trim one million acres that takes out uh, you know in this case 173 million bushels right off uh, ending stocks and right off production whereas if you trim a half bushel off total yield you're only trimming that you know it might be you know 40 45 million so the acreage was a big deal it was bullish uh, for corn that's pretty substantial, this late in the game, pretty substantial move. Uh, and it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays its way out. What that does justify and kind of uh, uh, vindicate everybody was wondering, and we've talked about this a lot, why basis on old crop through harvest was so much better than it normally was. And this could be a combination of maybe some overestimation from previous years. But also, it certainly could have been the fact that uh, there were, you know, 150 to 200 million bushels from this year's crop, just not out there that the USDA expected. Uh, and, I, and I'll stay on the, the U.S. stuff for a while. And we'll get to Brazil and Argentina in a minute. But on the beans, the total crop came in uh it, a sizable number, uh, right at 90 million bushels, below expectations, and the harvested area was dropped 321,000 acres. So that's uh, that. That's a good start. Uh, the same math applies that it does from the corn. That is always a bigger uh, movement in the total crop when you adjust acres rather than yield. And yield in beans case, and why beans were. Up so sharply yesterday, and old crop remain, old crop March remained solidly over fifteen dollars. Is that the yield was cut under forty nine and a half, and that was, uh, gosh, almost two full bushels below trend that they expected uh, at the planning meetings and their economists uh, in you know February March of last year, and then even during early planting. So the the bean crop in the U.S. came in uh, lower than expectations, and it's reflected in the price. Although, uh, you know, uh, exports have been solid for beans; they haven't been spectacular by any sense. But corn's been downright disappointing. So we're in an interesting spot uh, now. You have to, what you have to do, you know, transition when we're early January. You have to look at what's going on in the Southern Hemisphere and South America in particular. And in South America, when you start looking at it, we're talking about Brazil and Argentina. And their weather uh, pattern right now is they're in the transition from La Nina to El Nino. You are seeing very inconsistent weather, uh, very dry weather still in Argentina and their crop ratings and their Uh, Crop potential yield was cut accordingly. While while Brazil sits in the garden spot and they are in a position that they'll be able to make up uh, a whole lot of what Argentina may may be losing. But Brazil and Argentina's total crop for corn came in at 177 million metric tons, and uh, a million metric ton of corn for all of us that can only do bushels is 39.4 million bushels. The way I, when we're out speaking, think about it this way anytime you see a million metric ton, when we're talking about a world estimate of something, just think that it's 40 million bushels of corn. And that's, uh, you know, that's a, the between the two of them, that's a seven, uh, 7.03 uh, billion bushel crop. Ours was right at Uh, 13.7. So they're producing between Brazil and Argentina roughly half of what the U.S. will produce in corn, while on the other side of it, the beans are where they have a distinct advantage over us. And it's really Brazil because Brazil and Argentina's crop came in uh, at 198.5 million metric tons And a million metric tons of beans is slightly smaller it's 36.7 million bushels so you can think about that as just 37 but in between brazil and argentina they are going to produce 7.3 billion bushels of beans this year that china clearly has been buying and investing uh, money through the years to get their production and their infrastructure up for better exports where the U.S. Uh, even though our crop was diminished with the forty-nine and a half bushel per acre yield, you're talking about a total crop this year in the U.S. of uh, four point two seven six billion. So they have a distinct advantage of th- of being able to outproduce a- us in beans by uh, three billion bushels. And as they continue to add acreage, uh, Brazil in particular because it seems like they have an unlimited supply of rainforest to bulldoze down or or new area as their infrastructure gets better to get to some of the more remote regions to be able to grow in a 12-month cycle. So, and beans are uh, clearly more favorable when you talk about their tropical climate. So the bean production war, we are behind. Brazil, we are ahead of Argentina, but the two of them as partners, we are significantly behind them. So that's where when you get an issue like we have this year, where Argentina, who is a huge exporter of bean meal into the world, uh, when you see bean meal uh, over the course of the holidays and and into uh, early 23, making new contract highs, uh, just it if not every day certainly it was on a run where they were making new ones every week uh, argentina's loss helps u.s farmers to be able to make some really profitable sales and whether you're talking about making new crop which in uh after yesterday's trade uh, november 23 bean price bumped up to 14 that we were able to uh you know get a good price when the u.s is having no weather problems whatsoever so that's what i always encourage farmers to look at it this way think about where we are on uh today is uh we're recording this on friday the 13th which i'm not crazy about but it's still friday the 13th add six months to that window and if you were sitting in a situation where you had either great rains or terrible uh, growing conditions on, J- on uh, July 13th, you would really have an idea what your crop potential was. So that's where Brazil's crop is in great shape, although they did trim it slightly from the most optimistic estimates, which is uh, great because it's gonna keep bean prices stabilized. But they did uh, trim Argentina's crop, not as much as some of the private local analysts have it uh, trimmed to. And you're still talking about that number uh, as they go through the next six weeks to two months could be very critical for uh, where where the price of beans are when we get, get to the field in April and May.
0: Yeah, definitely a, a lot of happening in Brazil and Argentina uh, and, and definitely impacting the overall global supply there and going to drive some of the decisions that producers are going to have to make for 23 um, Jody let's uh, pivot a little bit to the wheat market. Uh, how did the wheat ter- uh, supply chain or supply report turn out for? you?
1: the wheat numbers
0: were also a little bit bullish they weren't quite as bullish as the corn, certainly
1: not the beans uh, because the the number that offset the smaller ending stocks and the smaller world stocks or the uh, or slightly lower world stocks, was the winter wheat seedings in the U.S. is expected to go up about 1.1 to 1.4. Depends on which which estimates and kind of which reporting service you're talking about. But when you're talking about a national 60-bushel yield, whether it's hard wheat, soft wheat, whichever variety they're growing, you're in a position when the U.S., uh, expands its wheat acres. That's going to be bearish, just like anything, because you uh, uh, can r- you just run into the situation where high prices motivated a lot of people to add some uh, winter wheat uh, or and uh, or some full season wheat come the spring into their rotation. And as the rest of the world uh, has uh, produced big crops, we've seen wheat go from $13, $14 shortly after the invasion back down to where we're trading now in the mid $7 range and mid $8 range on the soft and the hard varieties. So wheat is uh, still profitable at these levels, but certainly not the darling uh, when people were looking at you know, uh, 9 know $10, $11 a bushel uh, back when they made the decision to plant the winter wheat in in September, October at the end of harvest.
0: Well, yeah. And then, and, and from, from my understanding, you know, we're down 7% based on us uh, supply there, but, and that's a 15 year low, but then Ukraine and, and, and Russia, Russia really having a pretty decent crop from my understanding, you know, and uh, you know, raising some of those global supplies as well.
1: Yeah. Russia's crop and you have to take whatever Russia information gets out into the world. Uh, news channels with a grain of salt, but they told they they have told the world that they produced nearly 10 million metric tons more than their uh, last year's crop, and about 8 uh, million metric tons. In all wheat; it's the same 36.7 like beans. So you're talking about an extra 350 to 400 million bushels that Russia says it produced in the middle of a uh, a war. Not that the war was active in the in the russian the big russian production for areas for wheat but it does seem odd that uh, their numbers went up uh by about seven you know uh, high enough that you look at what ukraine's went down it's not a complete wash but it does give you some uh it's making some of the wheat watchers scratch their heads about how much of Russia's crop was actually stolen from Ukraine.
0: Yeah, definitely. And makes you scratch your head a little bit. Uh, and then you have to ask yourself, is that, you know, we going to actually get exported from Russia to other countries? Who knows? There's lots of questions still hanging over that specific area, but definitely impacting the overall market globally. Uh, Jody, um, let's talk a little bit about cotton. Uh, that, that seems to be also a, uh, kind of falling into the similar category. There are lots of questions around cotton as we look at this report
1: yeah the the cotton report was a little surprising because as prices have backed up you know we were trading uh, uh gosh about a year ago we were trading cotton uh, substantially over a dollar uh, i can remember seeing some dollar 25 dollar 30 trade and now we're trading old crop at 82 cents and uh december 23 just a little above 80 cents and cotton uh, Really, the culprit there was, although the Texas crop and a lot of the plains crop was decimated by drought, the demand for cotton, because China was in the middle of enacting their zero COVID policy, where they were shutting down everything, China being the demand engine for cotton, uh, really was shut down uh, for the last six months. Since, and They have made a change, so cotton, it'll be interesting to see what happens with cotton. But they are, uh, the cotton lack of demand more than offset the losses for yield for the Texas crop, and that's why you see cotton trading back here at this 80 cent level. The 80, 81 cent level, and which is unfortunate for anybody who wants to grow cotton, uh, is below the and well below, in some cases, the average cost of production. So unless uh, there are some farmers with really deep pockets or really low cost of production, December cotton's in an interesting position trading right, you know, the last tick was right at 81 cents. That will there be a large switch? You know, we've seen some wheat acres, uh, the wheat acres go up and are, are those, you know, West Texas, Texas Panhandle cotton lands that decided to plant some wheat uh, to avoid starting a crop off on a negative you know, cotton crop off with negative numbers behind it. And then if you look through the southeast, cotton is really at a disadvantage to beans because if beans, uh, you look at November 23, trading 13, 90 to 14 dollars, uh, they are profitable they're not as hugely profitable as they have been but they're still profitable and when you talk about making a decision between planting cotton that you're going in behind the eight ball on or switching over to beans just by switching a header and buying some different seed you there'll be some cotton producers that have some really tough decisions in the delta and in the areas where they can swap out row crops for the cotton and uh, that's really yet to be seen because 80 cent cotton is not going to motivate anybody to plant it. So cotton could be a very dynamic market, uh, a slow uh, a slowly emerging but very dynamic market because if they, let's say the number was cut down to eleven and a half, 12 million acres of planted cotton, something you know pretty significant, then you get into a spot. Where all this starts again, China reopens from their zero COVID, and they're you know uh, they're about a month into that, and so and so far so good because certainly their economy and their demand. If you look at the world export lines, not just in cotton but beans and across the board, their economy appears to be uh, changing course. And if China be- comes back to be a really big buyer and needs the cotton to mill and produce uh, all of the cotton-based you know, clothing that China is always the major producer of, then you have an interesting dynamic that you have lower cotton acres and the demand snaps back. So 80-cent cotton to me looks like uh, a, a real value, but it's not something that I expect to wake up uh, one Monday morning or one, you know, at, after the end of a, a good week and see cotton back above, you know, 95 to 98 cents. It's going to be a slow decision process. And the USDA, uh, you think about these numbers and planting being so far off, but here we sit in the middle of January, the USDA will update and put out their initial uh, estimates on planted acreage at their uh, big winter economic meeting, which is at the end of February. And then all the acreage Uh, surveys and estimates will start to come out shortly after that. So we're only six weeks away from really having an idea how much these prices are going to shift production and intention on farm. Uh, The good thing about it is the uh, input prices uh, aren't nearly as high as, as the concern that we had, say, a year ago with all the logistics issues and even creeping into the spring and early summer. Because of the dramatic fall, the warm winter in particular in Europe helped this. But the dramatic fall in natural gas prices and in uh, diesel and crude for a period of time, the all the nitrogen-based products that use so much natural gas to be produced, uh, they those prices have moderated. Uh, in some cases, you could say they softened, but they're certainly not being. Uh, run up by the logistics issues the Mississippi River is refilling as we speak because I know it's raining in Memphis because I just talked to my dad before we did this broadcast and it's uh, uh, you've got uh, some some things that are going to bring uh, or at least flatten the input costs this year across all the crops which makes it which makes the decisions uh, for all the farmers who are right now in the middle of prepay, you know, what makes more sense, what makes more money is they do their balance sheets and they do all of their uh, beginning of the year P&L statements that uh, prepay right now is a great time, and we will get a lot of information in the, in the market and through farmers, through prepay. And in six weeks, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see uh, just what decisions everybody is deciding to make because it, corn is still favored. You've got December twenty-three corn, just under six dollars at five ninety-seven. And if you are optimistic, especially uh, talk about all uh, all our uh, valued customers in the Western Corn Belt, if this transition does happen and you see the storms rolling through California, the enormous uh, snow totals that you're seeing in the Rockies, that some of these aquifers are, uh, that feed all the Western Corn Belt are going to be recharged. And if that moisture comes in and the Southern Plains and the drought monitor gets significantly better, uh, you're going to have to make some early sales and you're going to have to make some decisions because uh, of you know, the genetics, uh, the stewardship of the ground, and just the talent. Uh, on farm and helping everyone on farm we're just a cut we're a good growing season away from a 182 183 potential corn yield and while everybody wants to win the yield contest and be on that trip to Aruba with the seed company uh, the, the problem always is the cannibalistic nature of agriculture that you want to produce every bushel you can on your acres But higher production means more product and without a demand engine uh, just yet, then when you have more supply, that means you have to uh, the price is almost certainly going to go lower. So uh, in an interesting spot right here where I'm still a little more cautious and concerned that uh, we could get pullbacks in new crop rather than a substantial rally that we seem to have gotten used to since the, you know, the fall of 20, that every year we, if procrastination turned out to be the very best marketing plan. And I don't think that's going to be the case this year.
0: You know, uh, a lot of, a lot of good points there, uh, Jody, but uh, you know, when we talk about demand uh, you you referenced China uh, starting to loosen up, but impacting that cotton market, for example, um, There's going to be a lot of other demands that are going to kind of fall into that same kind of scenario, uh, you know, from a supply demand side of things, just the consumer side. Um, How do you feel? Do you think it'll be a game day decision for a lot of producers in terms of their planting intentions, Uh, especially when we talk about soybeans and kind of the volatility there and, and, and maybe I guess right now the opportunity? versus cotton, and as well as some other crops.
1: Exactly, and I I really, I I do, I think that you will have decisions made on crop rotations, not in the, you know, the the big fat part of the Midwest where they have invested, uh, you know, years and millions of dollars to get their soil profiles up, and that rotation is what they're sticking with. But when you start talking about the Delta, and you start talking about, you know, uh, the South and over into Texas, where they do have an economic decision to make, uh, then th- they're going to have to go right to the end. Because you look at and, and really, I think the defining factor in this is going to be you go back to the Federal Reserve rate increases. Everybody's line of credit is three, three and a half percent higher uh, in 23 than it was in 22, and when you start talking about uh, you know average size farm is almost certainly working off of a line of credit. Your average you know 2500 to 3500 acres, a million dollar line of credit. That's thirty thousand dollars a year just in interest that can't go back into your operation. You can't hire a new man. You cannot uh, buy equipment, rent more ground, whatever it is. And I think the bankers and just the lending industry in general is going to have uh, enough impact on those decisions that uh, you certainly don't want to actively encourage anybody to borrow money who is doing something that looks like a, a losing proposition at the beginning of the process.
0: So it feels, Jody, like uh, as we take a look at 2023 um Still, a lot of moving parts. We have a pretty good handle on our current grain supply and lots of uh, across the US, but still, that global market's definitely going to impact some of those planning decisions for 23 for many growers.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, ne- next six weeks are going to be critical to see where we get spring weather, uh, obviously, is, is the next major factor after that, but uh, it becomes difficult uh, it, it, looking down that uh, over the past few years we've had a lot of areas with significantly delayed planting and whether we've been saved or you're just talking about a new kind of weather pattern that we've had very extended summers and you know you can call it indian summer uh you know like our grandparents did where you've had uh, no early frost and you've been warm deep into september that have really helped uh put some top end yield on this crop so uh, you know, it, it's always the same set of factors this time of year. Uh, do do your very best uh, on working prepay to keep your to keep your costs down. Uh, look, start making sales if you are in that marginal area, uh, because at at five ninety seven corn, uh, it doesn't take it doesn't take too much because we we've already had, gosh, what. 20 meetings I guess and we're really just kicking off the season the more uh, I'm out uh, at these meetings and talking with uh, all of Helma's customers and everybody that's out there farming it doesn't take long and you know 30 cents in this corn market from this side would make, will make a huge difference because if you're counting on 180 uh, bushel per acre and you know 30 cents next thing you know okay well your cost of or your gross revenue just went down fifty four dollars and fifty four dollars and twenty one and twenty two. It was it stung, but it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't the difference between making or breaking even. And this year, when you talk about it, we, I sat down with some farmers, and they were nice enough to show me uh, their P and L sheets, their spreadsheets, what they're looking at. And when you start talking about some of the larger yielding areas, people that are expecting their APHs at 230, 240, to effectively manage this and, and keep the type of agronomy program that they've been working with. You're talking about 13 to $1,400 all in uh, to just get started to plant an acre of corn. So that is, uh, you're really getting to a point that, you uh, the margin for error on corn, and, and not so much beans, uh, because beans have got a little more wiggle room, but on corn, 30 $0.35 cents this year uh, could make a, a really, really big difference on that bottom line. One last thing before we get out of here. Uh, we've talked on all the podcasts lately and the one earlier this week about hedging your diesel costs. Crude oil bounced again off uh, $70 uh, a barrel. And we're all the way back up to 7930. There was some uh, apparent disruption in the Nord Stream uh, gas pipelines, uh, odd and things in Russia that are contributing to this. But the big picture is if China comes back, uh, the price of energy, whether it's natural gas, whether it's diesel, uh, whether it's unleaded gas, are going to uh, be firm and continue to go higher. So with that, uh, you've got uh, let's see. You've got diesel trading all the way back up to three fourteen a gallon, and, and we were just trading at two ninety earlier this week. So when you see March futures trading anything, uh, you know, below three o five now, because I think we're kind of moving up to higher plateaus where there's going to be support. Continue to top off your tanks and start making arrangements with your supplier for your spring and summer needs.
0: Definitely, uh, growers have a really keep a close eye on the supply as well as markets, and working with their lenders and 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 really sharpening that pencil up as we enter into 23 and begin those planting intentions. Uh, Jody, want to thank you for joining us for this special edition of Field Link as we cover some of the details into the USDA grain stock report and. Jody from Strategic Trading Advisors in Nashville, Tennessee, thank you for joining us. Jody, what's a good way for folks to reach out to you?
1: Well, we're going to be on the meetings, uh, the meeting circuit uh, this year. So check with your local Helena representative, especially through uh, the Midwest, the Northern Business Unit. I've got, I'll be in Memphis uh, at a couple events at the Helena Products Group, which is always fun to see the lab tour because those are people are certainly smarter than I am that develop all these great products. And uh, easiest way, send me an email at jblawrence at comcast.net uh, or just pick up the phone, give me a call, shoot me a text, six one five nine four eight two three seven eight.
0: A great advice here as we take a look at the, uh, the energy market. Uh, Jody, appreciate you again for joining us for this special edition uh, on FieldLink uh, as we covered a lot of the details around the USDA Grain Stock Report. Thanks for joining us here on FieldLink. Thank you, Bill, and everybody have a great weekend. I want to thank everybody for joining us here for this special episode of FieldLink. Uh, we hope that you find value in this particular report as we covered the USDA Grain Stock Report with Jody Lawrence. Thanks for joining us and stick around for our next episode of FieldLink.